Hi, I just want to give a heads up. Uh, due to the recent COVID-19 crisis, um, I am unable to go to the CFRC building to record certain parts of my audio. Because of this, I have decided to record at home with my shotgun microphone. Um, so you will notice a difference in audio quality. Please bear with me. Hello, I am Albert Iolio. I am currently 22 years old as of 2020. I am also a fourth year film and media student at Queen's University, and I'll be graduating in 2020 in June. Um, welcome to my first radio documentary. It is my pleasure to inform you guys that uh, this opportunity was presented to me at the Isabel Vader. I uh, found out about this on the uh, film, film and media department's uh, billboard. Um, and I still remember it. it was posted back sometime in I want to say like September or October 2019. Um, this is actually the Robert H. Black Audio Residency Program. Um, just a little background of what this is, and this is from the CFRC.ca uh, website. The Robert H. Black Documentary Residency Program Fund was established in 2013 to support the Robert H. Black Documentary Residency Program through the Department of Film and Media at Queen's University to allow emerging media artists, journalists, and broadcasters an avenue for developing their skills and careers by providing them with financial and infrastructure support for practicing advanced audio documentary production techniques at the CFRC 101.9 FM Radio Queen's University. So thank you guys for providing me this opportunity. So definitely learned a lot how to operate a uh, sound studio. Um, I'm not terribly, I'm not good at it. I'm not terribly bad at it. I'm still relatively new. And uh, overall, this has been a great experience. So today's topic is about what is success. And uh, believe it or not, my Film 460, which is my major project course, where you can think of it as a graduation thesis, my uh, film thesis is also the same topic of what is success and uh, do check it out on YouTube. Uh, it's more or less the same thing except for my uh, film thesis. I'm only given 30 minutes of uh, video and I've only interviewed four people for that. But uh, the same four people are here um, in my radio documentary and I've also included the original two uh, interviewees. So yeah. Many of us have asked ourselves at one point, what is success, or we will sooner or later. Now, I can definitely guarantee a lot of people say that success is based on how wealthy you are, or how famous you are. Or, in other words, we're all thinking about celebrities like Bill Gates, Oprah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, etc. However, I do kind of disagree, and in fact, I believe that there are many ways of measuring success. And in this documentary, I aim to break the notion that success is measured only by wealth and fame. Hence why in this documentary I have interviewed six different people of various backgrounds and ages. The first one being Arthur McDonald. He is the 2015 Physics Nobel Prize winner for discovering that neutrinos have a finite amount of mass. Emily Pelstring. She is an assistant professor of film and new media at Queen's University. She was also a former professor at Concordia University at the Communication Studies Department. She's also worked at nonprofits making art as an artist and has also worked in the animation marketing sector software for a while. Third, we have Alex Johnson. He is the creative producer of Pop Sandbox and film commissioner of Kingston, or the KCFF, Kingston Canadian Film Festival. Fourth, we have a student, Nicolette Schwartzman. She is a third year film and media student. She is also the director, cinematographer, and editor for What is Failure on her short documentary for her Film 392 video production class. Fifth, we have my dad, Liu Dongtao, or Tony Liu. He used to own his own companies, the first one being Dongyuan, which he co-founded with a friend of his, the second one Hongtai, which focused more on actuarial banking systems. In 2000 or 2001, my dad later then immigrated to Canada and retired. Finally, I interviewed another family member, my aunt, Kitty Lee. She used to work at Corning for over 15 years as a financial analyst and has recently started working at Carbon INC. Carbon INC is a Silicon Valley startup company that focuses on 3D printing technology. So without further ado, let's begin. In this very first section, I'll be asking Professor Emeritus McDonald on the significance of neutrinos having mass. 
So I did a little research and uh, the standard model states that neutrinos have no mass, but you and your team discovered that neutrinos do indeed have a finite amount of mass. So I was wondering like, what is the significance of this? And does this mean that we have to change our outlook on physics and even the universe? What we were able to observe with the Sudbury Neutrino Observatory is that the electron type neutrino produced in the sun, it's the only type produced there, two-thirds of them changed into other neutrino types before they reached our detectors here on Earth. That change in flavor, as we call it, or type, it requires that neutrinos have a finite mass. And that is of significance both in terms of uh, meaning that we have to change the standard model. We have to add to the standard model. And actually scientists, rather than saying, oh, fool, we are our model is broken, they say, ah, we have some new information that may enable us to have a more complete model, may enable us to, uh, uh, to include gravity if we have this more complete model. It also addresses some questions that uh, uh, relate to how the universe has evolved. Neutrino mass has some influence in that. And so uh, it is regarded as very fundamental. And in addition, by making the measurements we did, we were able to confirm that we understand how the sun burns with great accuracy, with uh, an agreement between theory and uh, our experiment within about 10%. And that's quite remarkable in considering the complexity of the way in which the sun is, is composed and also the set of reactions that power the sun, nuclear fusion reactions. In this section, I'll be asking about everyone's current and or past work. Well, there were 16 of us that came together yeah. in 1984, mm -hmm. led at Queen's by George Ewan, yeah. who was a, a professor who had already been looking for underground sites to do uh, fundamental physics. Mm -hmm. um, we came together to pursue uh, an idea from a professor at, uh, uh, at the University of California at Irvine, Herb Chen, who uh, contacted uh, one of our group and, and, uh, uh, in Ottawa and, and asked uh, whether it would be possible perhaps to borrow from Canada's reserves enough heavy water to do this rather specific use of heavy water for measuring neutrinos from the sun. Um, it turns out it was possible. Atomic Energy of Canada allowed us to borrow $300 million worth of heavy water for about 10 years from reserves, uh, it's used as a moderator in Canadian nuclear reactors. Um, Herb Chen passed away about three years later in 1987, and we continued. Um, I, I became the American spokesman for the project, George Ewan was the Canadian spokesman, and David Sinclair from uh, Oxford, and now Carleton, moved back to Canada, and we worked on developing it, and eventually were funded in in 1989 and then it took us until it took us 10 years to get operational on the detector and we have our results our first results in 2001 and even more substantial ones with greater accuracy in 2002 continued to work until uh, 2007 <laughs> and then to analyze thereafter so 1984 to 2007 predominant so I remember seeing some of your work and exhibition being displayed in, displayed in class. Um, would you say that your work is abstract, experimental, or I, I don't know the correct term for it? I, I in order to just kind of shorthand, I describe my own work as experimental because it's a, it's a categorical distinction in the field of media. Um, you know, and that, that has to do with how festivals would categorize it. So it's a level of abstraction. If there's a narrative, it's loose. Um, so sure, yeah, experimental, abstract, those terms work. Um, so what made you get interested in like abstract work, experimental arts? So my initial inclinations were not necessarily toward the world of media. Um, in fact, I didn't really watch TV or movies much growing up, um, uh, less than other people, 
you know, less than the rest of my family, for example. I was more of a drawer and painter, so my interest was really in art, and I thought I was going to go into printmaking. And I visited uh, Rhode Island School of Design as a transfer student from Smith. And, um, you know, I thought that I was going to do something uh, more tactile and drawing based, but at the same time that I was really into drawing and painting, I was also a dancer. And it occurred to me when I visited the animation department, which was very supportive of experimental work, it occurred to me that uh, a way to combine my interests in performance and choreography and my interests in drawing like was animation. Like that was that was the perfect place where those two skills or drives met. So that's what I ended up going to school for was animation. And I had never made an animation before I elected to major in it. And that was a really big commitment. So it was a huge leap and it was a life-changing leap. <laughs> I see. So yeah. Would yeah. you say that you do more like filming or more like hands-on, um, not paper mache, but like, <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, I do spend a lot of time doing paper mache, it's okay. true. <laughs> um, or do you like spend more time to like build things like out of scratch? Yeah, I love the hands-on stuff. I love the tactile building my, you know, I, I had a, relatively recent exhibition where I made stained glass and so I learned this new craft to do it and those, those crafts are very time-consuming. Paper mache is time-consuming actually. Um, all of it just takes kind of hours <laughs> where you, you're doing something that you can like listen to music while you're doing it. Um, so I like to balance my digital work with that kind of work. Um, but I most, I would say the majority of the time that I spend doing a project, I'm on the computer. It's, I'm using, I'm doing sound editing, I'm doing video editing, I'm doing, I'm an, doing animation. Um, so I'm usually working with a computer and a camera. I have a, a hand-built animation stand that I work with to shoot stuff. Um, yeah, so it's like drawing, shooting, editing, building. There's a lot of and then my performance stuff I'm rehearsing. So yeah, so I actually have a pretty balanced set of activities that comprise the practice. So obviously I know to some degree what Pop Sandbox does as, you know, I'm in your class and you often talk about it, um, but can you please explain to the audience what Pop Sandbox does? Sure, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Pop Sandbox is a multimedia production and publishing company. Mm -hmm. So uh, in it, we've done everything from films, video games, graphic novels, interactive experiences. So I basically take a, a film producer's approach, but, uh, but I'm not really tied to film as a medium. So um, it's really kind of letting the story choose the form and, and also the audience we're trying to engage with. Um, and I guess a lot of that speaks to, um, you know, when I started out, I felt like film was the most important medium for reaching a mass audience, but I think that's changed. And so where people engage, what they engage with, it's, it's completely different. So a lot of what we've done is like documentary-based work, but documentary as a graphic novel, as a video game, mm -hmm. as, a, as a tourism mobile app. So all these kind of different ways of telling mainly documentary-based stories. What motivated you to start the Pop Sandbox project? Um, is, it, is it a project or...? Yes, yes. So Pop Sandbox uh, started it 10 years ago. Um, and that was, so I'd worked first as a producer right out of school, um, but I didn't, uh, I feel like there was, there was kind of holes in my, in my knowledge. So then I got into, into distribution. I worked with Mongrel Media, learned the distribution side, so that then what I would be able to do is go back to producing, but be able to produce the projects, but make sure not only does the project get made, but it also reaches the audience it was intended for. Mm -hmm. And so when I started Pop Sandbox, it was very much with that in mind, but the, uh, the market had changed. And so I wasn't really necessarily tied to film it was more so all these different forms of storytelling so as a kid I loved comics films video games um, and so now it's basically been playing with a lot of those those forms and um, and then just different different ways of I guess engaging audience so what motivate you to do your topic of what is failure I think it's a topic that really resonates with me I like my personal opinion is that people talk too much about success um, and like the world kind of like puts it on like a pedestal. It's like, oh, if you succeed, 
then that's a good thing. But if you fail, then it's a bad thing. And so failure is always like that subject that like, oh, like we don't really talk about it, like brush it under the rug and like move on with life. And I was like, why do we do that? Like I started questioning like when I, like if I fail at something or when my friends fail at something and like not necessarily like fail like like an F, mm-hmm. but like do less than what we thought we were capable of doing. Yeah. It's like, why do we beat ourselves up instead of looking as failure as a stepping stone to success? Because like failure is supposed to be like a lesson that you learn to yeah. help you not make that same mistake in the future. So I think that's what really was like a topic or like a perspective that I felt I needed to to show and like bring to light to other people. I just want to give a heads up. In order to interview my dad and my aunt Kitty, I had to use WeChat, which is a Chinese social media platform, much like Facebook, and or Skype to interview them. And during the process of interviewing them, I had to screen record with QuickTime on my laptop. So can you please explain why you left the publication house and uh, started your own companies? Uh, I left the publication house in the early 90s. After leaving, I made my first company, a private company. I was also one of the first to name a company after myself. My dad actually co-founded this company with his very low days, there were very low private companies, especially using one's own name. In the earlier days, we only After leaving the publication house, I acquired a lot of necessary typesetters. First, I was extremely familiar with typesetting. Second, I also made a lot of connections. And finally, there was a lot of market competition on pricing. But most importantly, during Chairman Dunsopin's tour in the South, he allowed the first wave of people to start up their own private companies. So at the time, I took, I took the risk of trying to private companies. At the time, I didn't think of failure or anything. I only thought this is something that I should do, and the risks were extremely high. During that time, my family, colleagues, and friends all disagree with me making such a decision. Because they believe the risks were too high. And there was a chance that I would go bankrupt These aren't the real reasons. There were too many possibilities, so they all tried convincing me not to go down that path. They would rather I secretly outsource something I did. I so wanted to do it. I wanted to give it a try. One time company actually at first, we provided people. After buying computers, we would then build a network and also provide maintenance anything. After doing this for a while, we then began software programming. When we actually began software programming, this company began to have real power. Because at the time, we employed a lot of doctorates and masters, and some of them being the top in the technology sector in China. We had them do software programming projects. During this time, in the financial sector, we slowly accumulated a certain amount of prestige. And market share. During this time, we also achieved a lot of good results. This turnaround is also step by step based on the merit. At the same time, I had a personal philosophy. Whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to make my mark on it. 
这些呃领导啊、银行啊这些客户呢，他们呢对这些呃文字的东西的总结呀、啊、对项目的开发呀、啊、对他们的这个这个职称的评定啊，他们都是要有一套国家的标准。我就主动跟他们提过。So I proactively told them. 我说我可以在做这个项目的时候，跟你共同来给你出书。Because these are the things I've done before. So this isn't hard for me. But for my clients, for my clients, they were extremely interested. Because once the assignment, the contract was finished, we would then publish a book about the entire assignment's content, collaboration or interaction. And process and the application of it. In the end, my clients will use these as evaluation of their role with titles. They would then apply for awards or grants from the company and also receive a lot of the benefits that they wanted. So at the time, they were very interested. At the time, our product was indeed high-quality. We received a second-place award from the country for our intra-city exchange system software. So we combined business with publishing. This is also special. This was also a special accomplishment thing at the time. Using my own advantages, using my own specialties to fall on the heartstrings of our clients, move our clients emotionally. If I only went over our clients. Uh, I'm now working for a U.S. company. Uh, headquarter is in the uh, Silicon Valley. It's a startup company. With about、um, less than 500 employees, I joined them about、uh, a year ago.、Uh, so we did a lot of things in the past one year.、Uh, my role is like general manager for their China entity.、Um, my task is to basically help them manage the key projects in China, and then also look for the business opportunity for them to grow further in China market. Before that, I worked for U.S.、Uh, five. A Fortune 500 company, which is more East Coast culture,、um, and worked in the finance area in that company for more than 15 years.、Mm-hmm. I started as an analyst and trainee,、uh, and then I came back to my home country, China, based in Shanghai, and、uh, started to work with team there. We started with about 20, 30 people, a small office, representative、mm-hmm. office. Then we started first the Holy Home and then JV.、Um, by the time I left, we have、uh, about more than two thousand people in China, and we have almost thirteen plants in China. So I I really had a, had a、um, good experience, grow with the company,、um, experienced up and down in that fifteen years,、um, and I moved up to like a. a CFO for a business sector, business division.、Uh, it's actually、uh, it was a global role.、Uh, we had an international division responsible for sales outside of the United States. So I responsible for、uh, a lot of、uh, offices in different part of the world.、Uh, we have a couple of in Europe, in Latin America, and obviously the major part is in Asia.、Uh, so it was an interesting role. In this section, I'll be asking, what were some of the initial challenges that you faced, and how did you solve them? Well,、uh, yeah, we th- there were many aspects of the experiment that were、uh, first time、mm-hmm. uh, that things were done, and, and they were all challenging in different ways.、Um, it's the largest cavity that ever had ever been excavated at such a depth,、uh, two kilometers down, and so we had to.、Uh, Uh, have very careful uh, control of the uh, uh, of the walls of the cavity. Make sure they were stable.、Mm-hmm. Great help from mining engineers, including people here at Queens, including a professor who developed the Uralon coating that gave us a watertight、mm-hmm. cavity when we were finished. Cavity was、uh, 34 meters high and 22 meters in diameter. Very big、uh, excavation. 
in the middle of it was an acrylic sphere, 22 meters in diameter and five centimeters thick, that had to be bonded together out of 120 pieces that were uh, uh, small enough to go down in the elevator and then had to be bonded in place. Very careful tolerances on that. Yeah. Um, the water that was used was purified to be a billion times purer than tap water, less than one radioactive disintegration per day per ton of water, so it really was free of radioactivity. Um, electronics, which were the latest thing at the mm -hmm. time, uh, from which we had the uh, Canadian Microelectronics Corporation here at Queen's help us in terms of build, uh, building it. Various uh, delays uh, as we tried to do these things for the first time. Mm -hmm. It took us longer to do the cavity and we had to change our techniques part way through uh, in order to make sure we got it done close to schedule. Uh, we had uh, difficulties bonding the uh, uh, pieces of acrylic to build the vessel. Mm -hmm. But we worked our way through that and now the techniques we developed are used in building enormous aquaria around the world really were uh, advantageous to uh, the industries with whom we were working. And so that's very often the case. You try to do basic science and push technology to the limit and you learn things that are of broader value. So it was, there were a lot of effort, there was a lot of effort that went into the project. I don't, I don't know. I'm not really that focused on challenges. I guess funding is a challenge. To be honest, I could, well, I know I shouldn't say this on camera. I was gonna say I could do most of my work without funding. I developed a practice early in my career where I wouldn't need funding to make work, specifically. Um, I, you know, and because I didn't wanna to have to rely on it. I now have projects that, where I do have funding and I just construct them differently, but I can work with and without it. It's a challenge to get the grant system. It's work to get a grant, um, and it's also luck. So I guess that's a challenge that a lot of people would talk about. Collaborating is always challenging. You're beholden to other people's schedules, so that's a challenge. There are always certain logistical hurdles because you're working in a material world with people and rules, and you know, so there's just like, the normal challenges of producing any, of manifesting any project. <laughs> okay. um, but um, I don't feel majorly challenged. I don't feel like, I don't get obsessed with impediments. Um, I just see them as part of a process and things will take the amount of time they'll take, you know? I guess challenge, the challenges are more intellectual challenges and struggles with, um, the goals of a practice, um, a const constantly asking oneself why why I'm doing this. Um, so those are kind of maybe intellectual challenges that have to be revisited all the time with each project. What is the point of this? Where is it going in the world? Why am I doing this? So grappling with those questions is much more challenging um, than any of the kind of logistical material challenges. Is there like a pressure to always come up with new ideas or to I don't think anyone else is putting that pressure on me mm -hmm. um, I could be lazy um, and just kind of repeat myself um, but I enjoy coming up with new ideas and I enjoy learning new things so I'm always trying to you know right now I'm doing a music video that there's no real reason for me to do except that I wanted I want to try a specific technique and it gives me an opportunity and a framework to do that so sometimes it's just about my own learning you know and that will be the whole reason I do something was to, is to like learn how to <laughs> figure out a new system for mm -hmm. a new technical system even so you mentioned before in class that you started your own things when you were in your undergrad years um, what were some of the challenges that you faced and how did you solve them? For example, like you mentioned that you started the KCFF. Um, so what made you start it? And again, like what were some of the initial challenges that you faced? 
Yeah, so I, so I guess I came to, uh, when I came to Queen's as a student, mm -hmm. um, I found that, uh, that the program was great, but I wasn't getting enough access to the industry. Um, and I think being in Kingston, you're that extra step removed. And so a lot of what I, I started doing is trying to see how I could create my own opportunities. So started by getting involved in, in uh, running and managing the, the screening room movie theater and then using the screening room movie theater to start the Kingston Canadian Film Festival, mm -hmm. largely as a way of using the festival to, to bring industry right here to Kingston to create more opportunities that you're, the films that we're making aren't just getting played in a the classroom, they're yep. getting played in front of a broader audience. So all looking at, uh, ways of, of ideally kind of a, like a, a launch pad. So obviously transitioning to a new company is very different. What were some of the differences and challenges that you face and how did you solve them? I think it's quite different. Uh, so in my previous company, as I said, I worked about 15 years. So um, in different stages, the challenge will be uh, different. Um, but I think at the end, I feel pretty comfortable with my role. Um, obviously, the challenge in that role, which was an international role, is how to do, um, to how to understand the business in each different country and uh, meeting the needs for internal customers and make sure we are um, in compliance with the local rules, but also um, can follow the standard um, procedures internally. Um, so it's the diversity um, was the challenge for me, try to understand all different uh, rules in different countries. Uh, and then also manage the communication. Uh, when you have a global team, some are in Europe, some are in India, some in Latin America, um, you have to have a lot of uh, calls and sometimes travels to, um, to make sure you have uh, uh, a good understanding of what they need and how you can support them. Um, but overall, because it's an environment that I stayed for 15 years, so it's pretty much uh, uh, like a family. Um, we all know each other quite well and uh, have a long established uh, reputation there. Um, it's pretty easy to uh, give my opinion and input and uh, work on things together. Um, the, for the new company, I guess I have to do everything uh, from scratch. Um, it also, it's the scratch that um, in the operations in China, but also uh, as a, a personal employee in that company. I just started a, a year ago, uh, so still need time to uh, get to know people, understand their specific company culture, um, and and can make sure I have a positive influence to the business. Uh, and then get what I want. Uh, but I'm still kind of trying to um, understand what's the most effective way trying to um, get there. So in the 21st century, many people choose to define success in wealth and fame. Do you agree or do you disagree? And uh, can you please explain why? Furthermore, what is success to you or how would you define success? And with your own definition of success, would you say that you are successful? Well, success in this instance mm -hmm. uh, really was uh, a matter of uh, making a significant scientific discovery, one mm -hmm. that had not been known before, one that changed the laws of physics as we know them at a very fundamental level. And that is really, I think, what the people who worked on the project regarded as a success. I mean, we shared uh, a very major prize in the United States called the Breakthrough Prize, which was awarded across the collaboration. Uh, but they award the Nobel Prize only to one person. But I'm very conscious of the fact that uh, I simply represent mm -hmm. a group of 270 people. I think that group regards uh, those prizes as being wonderful recognition. Yeah. But that's not really the success that they recognize most. What they recognize is their contribution to science. It's how they started, it's why they got involved in the project in the first place, and it's uh, something that clearly is substantial, as recognized by these prizes, but then our participants knew it was substantial at the time that we did it. 
And that's what they regarded as success. And so, in this case, success is hard work rewarded by something significant. Mm -hmm. And that significant thing was a, uh, a scientific discovery of a very significant order. So uh, I think uh, you can measure success in various ways. Uh, not many of the people on this project uh, uh, think of it in anything other than a success of a scientific nature. So for me, success is, you know, if I come to a have come to a place in my life where I have room for that and where that's a priority. Um, so I think it's about identifying what you want to spend your time doing. If all you want is money and you become like an investment banker because you want to get a lot of money, but you don't enjoy being an investment banker, I've, I feel like that's not success because you're miserable most of the time. Is it fair to say that success for you is enjoying what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. And my, my grandpa would have said the same thing. And he was a stonemason. <laughs> he had a very different life. He was a Portuguese immigrant and a stonemason. And he said, he used to say, find a job you like and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the definition of success has kind of changed for me a bit. So mm -hmm. like early days when I was when I was starting out, I just had all these dreams of projects I'd love to do. And I don't think they even felt achievable. So mm -hmm. it's like I was just throwing myself at them. Um, and then it's kind of in time when I started to get a chance to achieve some of these things, which is amazing. I started to realize, well, the, the reality of, of, uh, of it and, and what you thought it was going to be rarely match up. And ultimately, the, the lasting uh, piece of it is really is the experience and, and the process of going through it. So I think like for, for that, it would be, I guess I'd, I'd define much, success much more around, around, uh, around process, yeah. about doing meaningful work that you're engaged with. And I think um, doing that work with people either you care about or that you really respect. And I think uh, in, in a career way, that's certainly how I would kind of define success. Mm -hmm. And it's less so about um, uh, like a financial outcome. Yeah. I mean, certainly stability and security is so important, yeah. but, um, but beyond that, that's not kind of like a guiding principle for, for me. I think it's just, and when I look back at it again, like so if then getting a chance to do some of those projects and get there and realizing the reality of them is not quite what I thought it was mm -hmm. going to be, then it's been more so about recognizing kind of the, the process yeah. um, and, and making sure that you're enjoying it and that you're getting to work with people that you, that you enjoy and that you engage with. Mm -hmm. And then I think now it's an interesting spot as I'm, as I'm uh, getting more back involved within, within the Kingston community mm -hmm. or with the teaching, I think on that side, Part of that is because I, I recognize like ultimately some of the lasting legacy is those relationships that you've yeah. been able to build or the people you've been able to help. And uh, and that I think is like, you know, if the film festival stopped today, if, if uh, the Kingston Film Office closed today, if Pop Sandbox shut down, the lasting legacy would really be just the people who's who've been able to help or, or, uh, or help get behind or create opportunities for. And I think that for me, I find a ton of meaning. I think there's very much like a stigma around success being money and like fame and like the American dream, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's definitely catered towards like certain people who have that version of success in their mind to be like that point, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I'll only be successful if I get this, 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 and this. But success can very much be like a mental thing that you overcome too mm -hmm. you know like success can be like i thought about failure as once something that held me back as a person but now i think of it as failure like now i think of failure as like a good thing mm -hmm. and like the fact that you can get there every single time that you do like low that's successful like that's a successful mental like accomplishment for me oh. yeah it's more like a I feel like success matter. is also like an inner an inner thing that you work through as well. Like it's also like someone can work on Wall Street. Yeah. Right? And make like millions of dollars a year. But also have like a family that's breaking down or like a personal mm -hmm. life that's totally shit or like a, a really just bad like mental state. I personally wouldn't consider that to be a successful person. 
And a lot of people just look at the surface. They mm -hmm. just look at like the title of yeah. who this person is instead of like, there could be a person who doesn't work on Wall Street, works like a mediocre job, but is so happy doing that job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like doesn't need to be on Wall Street, doesn't need to be million making. Like obviously it would be nice to make millions of dollars, but like is just like mentally at like a good place and like has a stable family. And like that for me is success too. 在二十一世纪里头，人往往把成功定义成，呃，一个人的财富或者他的名声。呃，你是否同意这个观点？然后你可以解释一下为什么吗？同时，我也想问你一下，你怎么来定义成功？然后，通过你的定义，关于成功，你是否觉得你成功吗？我我觉得什么是成功呢？就是说，呃，能够。想做自己的事情，能够自己有能力去做自己想做的事情，我觉得这个是一种成功，啊，是一种这个标志。啊、还有一个呢，就是能够发挥自己的特色，啊，能够呃使自己得到一种满足，在这种。过程中还能得到一种快乐，我觉得，在我心目中，这是成功，这是我对成功的一些想法。So, I think both the wealth and the fame will have to be, will has, how to say, will tested by time and see how long it can last, right? And uh, it's like a, a in Chinese, time will 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 test your money and your fortune, and money and your name. A lot of people just one time they got it, but they won't last long.、Uh, but if you can really make it a long term sustainable,、uh, it's actually quite something.、Um, so I I agree, yeah. But I, I just think、uh, there's different ways to keep it and make it a long term, and then that's how you really、um, test yourself. So, do you have any more final advice or tips? When I talk to high school students or people early in their university career, I often get a question. You know, how do I pick a career? Yeah. And uh, uh, what I say is is very straightforward, and it's almost、uh, I don't know whether it's、uh, that. Profound. It's. It's. You should think about what's going to make you happy when you wake up in the morning, and set about doing it、uh, mm -hmm. during the day. There should be probably several different things that could be potential careers for you, and、uh, you should explore as much as possible when you're when you're young. Opportunities to give them a try. Give those subjects in university or or、uh, summer jobs or. Things like that in areas that you might find interesting, and then see how good you are at them. Some things you may love to do,、yeah. but maybe you're not very good at it. <laughs> I mean, you might love to be a, a concert cellist, but uh, uh, you uh, aren't very musical. So uh, fine, uh, find the things that are a combination of things you enjoy and things that uh, uh, that you. Uh, Uh, are good at and, and pursue them.、Uh, for for the sciences,、mm -hmm. it's very important. Well, it's probably true for anyone in in uh, in any subject.、Uh, at university, it often seems pretty mundane the things you're learning, particularly when you're at the basic level.、Mm -hmm. But it's very important to pay attention to those things because you'd be surprised how the very basic things keep coming up. Even in the most sophisticated projects, we had a, a situation in our experiment where we had an electrical breakdown in, in connectors for our detectors that were underwater. And、uh, one of our scientists, David Sinclair from Carleton,、uh, recognized that that we were creating conditions inside our connectors that,、uh, by pumping them out, essentially by degassing the water. That、uh, was leading to breakdown, and the rest of us were puzzling 
as to how this could happen, mm -hmm. uh, he found the solution and it was very important for our experiment. That's first year physics, basically. I see. But it's something that he remembered and applied. And uh, so understand the basics when you're an undergraduate and then uh, find something that really motivates you if you go into graduate work or if you go to work somewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, hopefully if you pick the right thing, you'll be happy when you get up in the morning to go and do it. I certainly have been for over 60 years of, uh, of research. So uh, I, uh, those are my ideas on such subjects. I would say that, and I'm just gonna, you know, uh, quote somebody else here. Um, my friend Amir George, who is a really wonderful filmmaker and curator, came to Queens to talk to students a few years ago. And he said a thing that I thought was really great. He said, just um, when you figure out what it is that you want, just keep moving towards it. Implying that it's not something you're ever gonna, you're never gonna feel like you've totally arrived somewhere. You know, it's a process and it's a movement toward. And, um, you know, you can kind of intuitively know what makes you happy and what you like doing, what you enjoy doing. Um, what brings you satisfaction and what challenges you um, and inspires you to like try harder. And so when you have all those things around a particular activity or milieu, that's what you should just be making the decisions in your life to move toward, you know, that's what you should. And even if it's like just a tiny pivot, a tiny step, like maybe you're choosing between two jobs and one pays less, but it's slightly more tangentially related to something you might eventually want to do. Take that one, you know? Take the one that moves you towards something you want. Yeah, I think, um, well, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's already great if you're, if you're chasing your passions, pursuing your passions, um, then I think it's, it's already such an amazing thing. I think the stuff that's just really important to do is sometimes we can get so preoccupied about achieving something at this young age and I, it's like, you know, societal pressure and whatnot. But at the end of the day, I, w I would definitely say like, slow down and take the time to enjoy the whole process and to learn as you're going. Because at the end of the day, it's much more about the process than it is the, the end result. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing I would also really encourage is make time for your passion outside of it and so for me you know it's whether it's soccer whatever it is for you it's just that it's really important that you don't just uh, abandon all your other stuff because very rarely and this is a uh, an incredibly demanding industry so I find very few people are going to tell you to stop to make sure you're doing the things that you love and so if it's not uh, a concerted effort that you you prioritize that for yourself then then I think that, you know, that can be a danger so I definitely say yeah, make sure that you find time to, to for a life outside of it mm -hmm. um, no matter how much you love it from my own point of view after like not getting a job or I wanted or like not getting a position on like some club or whatever that I wanted. Um, it's very much like instead of that being the end all be all, it's maybe there's something better out there for me. You know, like maybe I wasn't supposed to actually be doing this and I'm like, I need this time to like do my own thing, you know? Yeah. So it's like, very much change your mindset and change your life. But I think now the kids are, uh, have, they live in a really different world. Uh, a lot of jobs we do now probably will disappear when they grow up. So our advice may not be uh, that good for them. Um, this, uh, I think the basic thing is if you have the attitude work hard for things, you will always be successful at the end. As my father, what advice would you give me on how to be successful or the meaning of success? For you, I really want to say that you're maturing. You're able to use your own advantages, specialties, and skills. Quietly, 
高了，因为我觉得你应该是一个很满足就 OK 了，因为人其实追求最大的是心理。Self-fulfillment. So don't worry about how others value you, or how they see you. Say how successful you are, or how unsuccessful you are. You should actually value more on self-fulfillment, more inner satisfaction, and your own emotions. This is my advice. Because speaking from my experience, my generation, or for me at least. You gotta earn your first pot of gold, and then it might be possible for you to create an accumulation of capital. You then maybe able to achieve what you want. For your generation, for the current generation, you guys have great conditions, privileges, good cultural and socio-economic foundations, material and privileges, and resources at your disposal. Finally, the education that you guys have. You guys also have a lot of structural knowledge. So for your generation, it is completely different from mine. So I think your generation's biggest definition of success should be coming from your inner satisfaction, fulfillment, and happiness. To be honest, I think the simplest and most complex definition of success is the dictionary one: the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. But it's more than just that. It's also about trying. The process of trying to achieve success, even if you fail. But in order to achieve success, you must first have a goal or dream to guide you towards success, or at least something to motivate you, or a purpose for you to acquire the success that you want. If you never try, then you will never succeed. You will always fail. I would also like to add that failure and the process is a very core component of success, because you cannot know success without failure, and you cannot know failure without success. The two are entwined together. One cannot live without the other. So yeah, thanks for tuning in.、Uh, thanks for listening, and、uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Finally, if you enjoyed the royalty-free music that I use, please go to www.felisyanstudios.com. That is F-E-S-L-I-Y-A-N-Studios.com. The last song that I used was called "Inspiration Cinematic Pack." I got it from Envato Market. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario, at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.